A new inflation report shows that housing costs continue to spike, increasing 6%, triple the Federal Reserve target. As the Biden administration tries to sell the narrative of a booming economy, especially for working people, it only gets harder and harder for workers to make ends meet. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. We are excited to have Professor Wolf join us again for our regular weekly segment where we talk about the biggest stories related to the economy, the state of the working class, and the crimes of big business. I'm your host, Brian Becker. The Socialist Program brings you content several days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash the socialist program. If you're not a patron yet and you enjoy the show, rely on the show, or both, become a patron today. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out all of his work at rdwolff.com. That's rdwolff.com. Richard, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. Glad to be here. Richard, apparently, if one reads the big business media, the capitalist media, the corporate-owned media, you get the feeling that inflation almost has personhood, that it has certain characteristic features that are normally attributed to human beings. Here's one headline from today's Wall Street Journal. Inflation reflects stubborn pricing pressure. And I'm thinking like stubbornness, stubbornness. That's it's kind of a human quality, but it's attributed. I look at the New York Times this morning, same thing. The inflation, the high prices, just there's something stubborn about them, Richard. But anyway, we know that prices, the prices of commodities, the value of commodities are not living things, but they're part of a living system managed by living human beings. Anyway, it's a surprise in some ways for the stock market. It went down yesterday morning because it expected that because inflation had been decreasing that interest rates would be dropped by the Federal Reserve. That seems to not be in the cards right now. Anyway, your thoughts. I'm glad you brought up, Brian, the uh, strange wording in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and you find that throughout the financial press. But there's nothing innocent or accidental about that. It's a very deliberate program. You can watch it develop over the 20th century. And it's fairly clear, uh, without resorting to conspiracy theory to understand what's going on. The reality is this, as every person really knows if they think about it for a moment. Prices are something that are decided upon by people. You don't wake up one morning to discover that the price has either gone up or gone down or stayed the same all by itself. Prices are not people. Markets are not people. It is human beings who decide whether, how, when, and where to either raise a price, lower a price, or keep it the same. 
that decision is made in businesses every day, one way or another. They make that decision. For example, in your reference to yesterday's stock market plunge, yeah, that's because a lot of people who own shares of stock, realizing that prices were not going down in the United States the way they had hoped, but were in fact staying on the increase, decided they were going to sell their shares of stock. Okay, how do you do that? Well, you hope to find a buyer. How do you do that? You lower the price. That induces a buyer who might have been hesitant at $10 a share to come in and buy it from you if you offer it at $9 a share through your stockbroker, which is exactly what happened. No mystery. The prices weren't stubborn. It was the decision of individuals who own shares of stock and others who are interested in buying them to make a deal at a lower price. Okay, so what do the inflation numbers tell us? They tell us that a tiny minority of American citizens here in this country who are employers are in a position to determine prices. Employees do not have that in their job description. You only shape a price, decide a price, raise or lower a price, if you are an employer or someone chosen by an employer to do that. So what we know happened is, on average, over the last 12 months, employers, in general, raised prices, in the case of uh, housing, rent, and home prices, on average, about 3.9%. Little lower, on average, in food. Little lower, on average, in other items. Little higher, on average, in still other items. In other words, the inflation numbers tell us what the employer class comprising, depending on how you count, between 1% and 3% of the American people, in other words, a tiny minority made the decision to impose an inflation that all of us have to pay. That's what the statistics tell us. Now, the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, being owned and operated by employers, are not eager to point the finger at the likes of themselves who made these decisions. So suddenly we get this weird language, the markets decided, or prices proved to be stubborn, as if the prices have a mind of their own. They don't. You're reading weird language because the job of the story is to deflect your upset at reading that you're facing higher prices from the employers who are the cause of it to something mystical and magical, the market or the prices or the fill-in-the-blank that just confuse people and make them not understand the system in which they live and work and upon which they depend. If I could add another point, it's also a no-brainer. If you have an inflation, if prices are tending up, 
one of the things that might slow the employer class down in their eagerness to raise prices, and remember, an employer always wants to raise prices because that hopefully will translate into higher profits. Indeed, the only time employers hesitate to raise prices is if they have to worry that raising a price will lead enough people not to buy it that they could lose profits even though they've raised the prices. So what we know is from economics that employers will be more likely to raise prices if they think they're in an environment where the society, the economy is pumping money into people's hands so that they can afford to pay the higher prices. So guess what? Yesterday, the United States Senate voted to spend tens of billions of dollars more on the wars in Ukraine, on helping Israel in Gaza, and so on, doing things at the border. This is the government pumping even more money into the economy than they already have. That's an encouragement to employers to say, oh, well, with more money coming in, I can afford to raise my prices. Or to say it in simple English, the newspapers didn't want to suggest the obvious, which is that one, not the only one, but one of the contributors to the inflation surprise yesterday and today is the decision of the government to spend a huge amount of extra money on war and immigration from yesterday to today. No way out of that. Simple economics taught in any classroom and then very conveniently forgotten by the editorial writers and editors at our leading financial newspapers. I'm glad you mentioned the recent appropriation for even more money for Israel's terrible war against the people of Gaza and for the proxy war that the U.S. is waging with Russia vis-a-vis Ukraine. That was huge, almost $100 billion more uh, when you think about inflation, the tendency of prices to rise. We go back, Richard, to the 1970s, and one of the factors there, of course, was the deficit spending for the war in Vietnam, a war that lasted almost a decade, a war that obviously was a war of choice. Vietnam was not threatening the United States. North Vietnam was not marching on the United States. The United States decided to go to that war, to make war, to try to win a war that they didn't win for political purposes and for, of course, the defense of U.S. empire, as it was understood at that time. So I want to ask you about that. We've talked about it before, but especially for younger folks who might not realize that when inflation really took off in the United States in the 1970s and became a major factor in politics in the United States, that was right at the conclusion of or near the conclusion of the Vietnam War. There's another thing, though, that, Richard, before you go there, I, wanted, I just want to mention another thing about the recent inflation report and tie it back to the 1970s. The new inflation report says food prices and fuel prices have diminished a little bit. And if they had not diminished a little bit in the last month, and those are very, you know, those prices bounce around a lot. But for everything else, the, the real 
average inflation rate as of last month was about 4% for the year. So that means if you don't get a salary increase of 4% or more, your wages are actually going down in terms of what they can buy. But in the 1970s, Richard, I was thinking about this because one of the price gauges that hasn't gone down and is going up and up and up is housing. And I was thinking New York City. I moved to New York City in the 1970s. I had an apartment at 22nd Street and 8th Avenue, middle of Chelsea, two-bedroom apartment. The price was $96 a month, $96 a month in Chelsea. So I Googled, why did the rents go up so high in the 1970s? And I got an AI generative response. And of course, that's artificial intelligence, but sort of just skimming through what was written in all of the mainstream media about why rents went up. I want to read this to you, too, because it's at the same time that prices went off the charts on all things, not just rent. But here it is. In the 1970s, New York City rent prices increased with the median monthly rent in 1970 being $108. And that was 65% higher than the 1960s. In 1977, the average monthly rent for a one-bedroom apartment was $541. That's, that's five times more, Richard, in five years. And then at the end of this AI-generated message, it says, in the 1960s, most rental units in New York City were controlled or regulated, and tenants could expect secure tenancy. However, in the 1970s, things began to change. AI doesn't tell us what those changes were. And then it finishes with, and squatting increased, meaning homeless people had to find whatever they could and seize hold of it and try to hold it and live in it until the cops came and evicted them. But anyway, this element of inflation, the human factor, and what's happening with the system, it's about war. It's also about the destruction of working class organizations like those tenant associations that made regulation of rents the law of the land in New York City. And those were destroyed in the 1970s. Anyway, a couple of questions, but go ahead. Yes, I think these are wonderful because they show not just what an inflation is and how it works and the ups and downs, but they begin to get at some of the deeper roots of why you have an inflation. So let's take the 1970s, and you're quite right. There we have this uh, terrible war in Vietnam, occupying particularly the first half of the, of the 1970s. And like with every other war, especially one that involves hundreds of thousands of American troops, as that one did, and involves it for many years, as that one did, and involves these troops for many years, in as far away as you can get without turning around and coming back to the United States, because literally Vietnam is on the other side of the world from us, and therefore you have to transport every soldier, every canteen, every gun, every ship, every plane over there. It's enormously expensive. And that means, and that's true for every country, and it's true for us now, how are you going to pay for this? Set aside for the moment the politics, the war, the, the suffering, the hurt, the agony, the injury. The, put it aside for a minute. Just the money, the cost. There's two ways to pay for a war. Number one, you tax your people. 
you say this war is going to cost X billion dollars, and so every family is going to be assessed an extra $8,422 or whatever the number is, and it's a sizable number, to pay for it. The United States dared not do that. And it did not dare to do that because the American people wouldn't have tolerated it. You think the opposition to the Vietnam War, which helped bring that war to an end, was strong enough to do that. You're right. But if they had taxed the American people to pay for that war, the opposition would have surged much sooner, much more strongly, and ended that war much earlier. So what the government did, which lack of courage makes many governments do, is not pay for the war by taxing, but instead by borrowing. And who do they borrow from? From themselves. The Treasury issues a debt instrument, a Treasury security it's called, sells it to the Federal Reserve, which prints fresh new money, gives it to the government to help them pay for the guns and the bullets and the ships and the planes. It's the financial way of paying for a war without taxing your people. But it involves pumping vast new money into the economy in the manner I just summarized. So when you hear a libertarian or other conservative say, I want to blame the government because they put money in the economy, that's another one of these clever or not so clever distractions. Because the question is, why did they do that in such a number, in such a way, at such a time? And the answer was to fight the war in Vietnam. Just like the answer in recent years has been to cope with the failing U.S. capitalist system by pumping vast amounts of money in to rescue the banks, to rescue the large corporations, to keep the system afloat when it otherwise would have tanked. So the, the real reason the inflation surfaces, particularly after a war or something else that leads the government to borrow a lot of money, the causes are not that the government borrows, but whatever it is that makes the government suddenly turn to borrowing, as it did in the 70s and as it has done in the last 15 or so years as well. The other thing that I would stress and pick up uh, um, on your point is that we are seeing the same story over and over again. An inflation erodes people's purchasing power. If you want to understand the impact of the inflation that took off in, the, in the, around 2020 in this country, particularly in 2021, but got going in 2020, and you take a look over the last you know, three and a half years, roughly, that it's been going on, and then you look at wages, it's very clear. The increase in prices has been larger, taking the whole three and a half years together, than the increase, uh, the increase in prices has been bigger than the increase in wages. So the bottom line is that working people lose out. The average increase in wages in this country over the three and a half year period is not even equal to what the average increase in the prices were. So workers who did not get huge increases saw their standard of living shrink. Now, if you add to that the fact that governments cut back on social programs of all kinds, particularly those that were enhanced to get us through the pandemic, 
then you can understand why so many Americans are so upset. The prices are too high. The social supports from the government are too low. The prospects for a decent job are too distant. The good manufacturing jobs are moving out of the country. The crappy service sector jobs working in an Amazon warehouse or a Starbucks coffee shop or something like that, those are the kinds of jobs that are growing. You look around, you talk to your, your friends, your neighbors, your children, and yeah, you get very upset. And then to hear the president tell you how great the economy is, well, either he's a liar or everything you're experiencing is just your fault and you're unique and you're the one who's losing out. Everybody else is doing real great. Well, I'm here as a professional economist to assure your audience, no, Mr. Biden knows very well, and the people around him, many of whom I know, they know very well, as I do, what the statistics show. But they would like the voter not to blame Mr. Biden. And to be fair, it's not all his fault. It's just as much Mr. Trump's fault or Mr. Obama's fault. And you know what? Beyond the politicians, it's the economic system that drives these politicians to do what they do in the first place. That's the truth that has to be faced. And until that is faced, we will have these wastes of time of what look like debates, but they're mostly distracting people from what the underlying reality is. That's where those problems lurk that have to be solved or else these situations will not change. Richard, the issue of the human intervention such that inflation isn't an act of God, it's not a thing of nature, it's not something that has its own human characteristics or supernatural characteristics. Inflation is based on decisions made by some part of society. As you pointed out, society is divided between employers and employees, between the working class and the capitalists. The capitalists are the ones who set prices. It's their prerogative unless there's enough social organization as there was in New York City by the left in the case of housing such that regulations were passed in New York City, which made rent rent controlled or rent stabilized. And that meant that the landlords didn't have unfettered discretion to raise rents. And that's why rents were lower. And it's not just natural that rents go up. These are the way the capitalist system is organized. And it's not just the capitalist system writ large. There's also human intervention at the state level, or in the case of New York City, it was at the local level, whereby if the left, the working class forces were strong enough, they could impose some or receive some concessions from the government, such as rent control legislation. I'm saying that because I really want people to remember that this is not something that has to be. And also, as you pointed out, the government and the capitalists are very well aware that the framing of an issue has a big impact on our emotions, our psychology, and as a consequence, our political action. For instance, if workers were told when they came into work today, hey, everybody, we're cutting your wages by 4%. Right now, everybody all around the country, every worker who walked into work was told your pay is being cut by 4%. 
There would be lots of demonstrations. There would be job actions. There would be strikes. People would say, what the hell? You can't cut my wages. But if the capitalists can cut your wages by raising prices, and then the media presents it as if prices are going up or staying up stubbornly as if they have a mind of their own, then it deflects and diverts your anger away from the people who cut your wages. So you would be angry at your employer for cutting your wages. But under this circumstance, you can have sort of a vague anger, a generalized discontent. Maybe you don't like a politician who's in office at a particular moment. If inflation's real high, the incumbent gets blamed. But basically, as you're pointing out, the capitalist system is left off the hook as if it's not the guilty party when, in fact, capitalism is the guilty party. Absolutely. I mean, it's always for people like me a, a sort of astonishment. I also live in New York City. I happen to live in an apart. I rent an apartment, which is rent stabilized. I pay a hefty rent, I can assure you, because what's rent stabilized once meant uh, rent control being an even stronger uh, limit on how much a landlord can charge. Rent stabilization is less. That used to mean a great deal, and it meant that the real estate, the landlords in New York, went to work, as landlords in many parts of the United States did, to try to control city government. One of the reasons you see vast amounts of money spent on races for the mayoral position in a city or for the city council, most of that is real estate. That's people who own or want to own or plan to own apartment buildings, and they want to control the politicians because that will control how much they're able to raise the rent of rent-controlled and rent-stabilized apartments. It's obvious that the current mayor of New York, Mr. Adams, is, I'll say this politely, a good friend of the real estate people in this city who were very displeased with the previous mayor because he had the nerve to limit the amount of rent they could increase. So yeah, it, it becomes a political football. And there again, you see, unless the labor, the working class holds on to its organizations, unless it maintains whatever the political power it once had to get rent control and to get rent stabilization, if they don't maintain those organizations, maintain those voter lists, and get out there and wield their own candidates, then they're going to lose, one way or another, what they gained. Because, as Karl Marx once taught us, the class struggle doesn't stop and doesn't take a vacation. And the question for the working class is, you have to face up to that. Because the folks on the other side, the capitalists, they don't take vacations either. Or if they do, they hire people to keep the job going while they're on vacation. That's the real issue here. Inflation, you're absolutely right, is just one small arrow in the arsenal of the capitalists to push their agenda. And the working class either meets that with their own agenda or they will suffer the consequences. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolff.com. You're listening to The Socialist Program. We'll be back tomorrow. 
You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Thank you.